we will pick up in verse 22, where we left off last week. We went from verses 19 through 21 in the first part of this two-part message, hearing and doing the word. And so, beginning in verse 22, if you found your place, say amen. Let us read. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, it's our desire to hear it and to heed it. And Lord, we pray that you will work in the midst of our hearts and our minds, that you would grip our souls by the truth of your word, and Lord, that you would speak to us, for if you do not speak, Lord, then we cannot hear. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, our minds to comprehend, and our hearts to love your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Hearing and doing the word. If you look in the worship guide, uh, you'll find an outline. It's a half a sheet. And on the front, it starts with point number three, which is the word of truth uh, saves us. But I want to just draw your attention to the back because I mentioned this is a two-part series or two-part sermon. And last week's outline is there for us. So we kind of see in its entirety what happens with the word of truth in our life. And that is the word of truth instructs us. We saw that in verses 19 and 20. The word of truth not only instructs us, but transforms us. We see that in verse 21, particularly that it transforms us as we put away filthiness and all wickedness and we receive the word implanted. It has the power to save our soul. And so then we get to verse 22. And while last week we focused in depth on hearing, this week we focus more in depth on practical side of what hearing brings about in our lives, and that is doing. Hearing ought to lead to doing in our lives. And so he has this, we see on the front of the bulletin, or front of the worship guide even, that it says, be doers of the word and not only hearers who delude or deceive yourselves. And so the big question that I think we must wrestle with today is primarily the question of, are we doers of the word? Are we doers of the word? Are we engaging and doing the very word of God, the word that we hear? Are we doers of the word? In verse 22, he begins by saying, prove or be yourselves doers of the word and not only hearers who delude or deceive yourselves. Everything about this command, be doers of the word, 
Everything about this command calls for action in our lives. It calls us to action. In fact, James makes a definitive statement here in verse 22. And that statement is, To hear and fail to put into practice is to deceive oneself. To hear the word of God yet fail to put it into practice in our lives is to deceive ourselves. And so just kind of back up with me for a moment. The word implanted there in verse 21. The word implanted, that is the word of truth, the gospel. It saves us. And the word implanted, the gospel of Christ, is at work in us. Working in us to transform us and practically changing our actions. Changing everything that we do. The point James makes is the call of hearing involves more than just listening to words that are spoken. Hearing involves not only listening, but also doing. It requires or recall, it calls for us to, to be uh, in action, to walk obediently. And though it certainly means minimally that we hear, that we listen, it means more importantly that we are walking in obedience. Being hearers of the word then is a call to faithful gospel living. So James says if we are going to be hearers, we must also, if we're truly hearing, we must also be doers of the word. Isn't this what Christ was speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount where Dr. David read a moment ago? You've got the two men that build their houses. One builds on the foundation, which is the word of God. He hears and he builds. He's the wise man who builds his house on the rock because he hears the words of Christ and he acts on them. But then there's the foolish man who hears and doesn't act on them. He's like the one who builds his house on the sand. And guess what happens when tribulation or trial or affliction, oppression comes in life? The one who has built his house upon the rock, he can withstand the storm. He can withstand the affliction. But the one who builds his house on the sand cannot. It's blown away. And the point that James makes is real simple. That when we really hear the word of God and we hear it truthfully, then we are to act upon it. It must become part of our lives and what we do. It must not only register in our minds, but it must also engage us in life. Because the reality is to hear one and then to hear the word and not do it means that we are not truly hearing God's word. Not in a sense of being salvific or saving us. Not in a sense of transforming our lives. And listen, when God's word is proclaimed, when we hear it, when we read it, It's always done so that it might impact and affect our lives. It must result in change and transformation in our lives. When we come to the Word of God, we don't just come as spectators. We come as active participants who hear from God and then it it, it works and fleshes itself out in our lives. This is what happens when the Word implanted there in verse 21, it begins to, it's in you and it begins to grow up and it's nurtured and nourished in our lives. This is the word of God, the word of truth. In Romans chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says it, for it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Improving Your Serve, has kind of a silly illustration that I think really 
paints the picture. He says, let's pretend, it's, it's a modern day parable, let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you're my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner and I'm interested in expanding overseas. And to pull this off, I'll make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months. And I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I'll write you regularly, or today we would say email you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office and I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room and she's doing her nails, chewing gum and listening to her favorite disco station. I look around and notice the waste baskets are overflowing and the carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has temporarily been turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Yeah, yeah, we got your letters. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we've had letter studies every Friday night since you left. We've even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many things that you wrote. Some of those things are really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of the sentences and paragraphs in your letters. One or two memorize an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, so you got my letters, you studied them, and meditated on them, discussed them, even memorized them, but what? What did you do about them? Do. We didn't do anything about them. Realize it's somewhat silly to think that would ever happen in the business world, right? But what does James mean when he says, don't just be hearers. Don't be hearers only who delude themselves. Don't be deceived into only hearing and not putting into practice these words, this word, this gospel. Don't, let, don't be so silly as to say or don't be so deceived as to think that these words have no meaning. This word delude it or deceive it, it's used in two places here and in Colossians 2, 4. But here it, it refers to deceiving oneself in respect to salvation. Look in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. He sees himself in the mirror. He walks away. Here's a great example, a great, uh, a great picture for us, a great portrait. And so I want you to see that James here gives us a portrait of a forgetful hearer, 
a portrait of a forgetful hearer in verses 23 and 24. The man who hears the word, the woman who hears the word and does not do it, is like one who goes, looks into the mirror, sees his or her natural face, that is the face that they are born with, and then leaves immediately forgetting his or her appearance. The remembrance of the look only lasts as long as the look itself. It's momentary. And so when one departs from before the mirror, immediately they forget what they look like. We forget our appearance. We walk up to the mirror, we look in the mirror, and then we walk away forgetting what we look like. Now today, we might think that's a little far-fetched because every place we turn around there are mirrors to look into we have mirrors in our homes that we get ready in front of in the morning we have digital media where we see pictures of ourselves we know what we look like right we don't forget what we look like but get what James is saying this one goes and looks in polished brass or polished silver and sees a reflection of himself looks at it, but then as soon as he walks away, he has forgotten, she has forgotten what she looks like, does not remember the face of his or her birth. And so for this person, remembering is as momentary as looking. Whatever glimpse he or she had into the mirror was lost whenever they departed. And it seems to be the continual habit of the one who is a forgetful hearer. This is a habit, a practice in life. They look into the mirror and then they walk away forgetting. And the reality that James is driving home is whatever glimpse he or she had into the word, it was only momentary. It had no lasting impression. A person may have a glimpse whenever they come to God's word, may have a glimpse of our sin. We may have a glimpse of our our rottenness, of of our imperfection, or our our inability to, uh, to heed the word or to apply it in our lives. But they are not a doer. They are hearers only. Because as soon as they walk away from hearing the word, it falls away. We forget. It doesn't have implication. It doesn't have effect or impact in our life because we are forgetful hearers. This one is seen as the same one who goes to the mirror, looks at himself, herself, walks away and forgets. So it is when we come to the Word of God. We come to the Word of God. We hear the truth of the Word of God. And then we walk away not applying. And he says that one is a forgetful hearer. Continually making a habit of going to the word, hearing the word, studying the word even maybe, walking away and not making application in one's life. Not allowing this word to resonate and to sink deep in and then apply in our lives. Sometimes it can be the... It can be the uh, situation that a believer finds him or herself in where... They approach God's word and really struggle with a sin and don't want to give it up, but realize inevitably that God's word has rule in our lives and inevitably or ultimately, rather, we we submit to God's word and we confess that sin and repent and begin applying God's word in our life and we experience repentance and we experience the healing that comes from, uh, from reconciliation with God. 
But what James is saying here is this is the habit of the person. They, they're one who, who perhaps they, they attend church often. Maybe they, they attend Bible study often. They hear the Word of God preached. They study the Word of God with others. Maybe they even participate in memorizing Scripture or, or reading certain book studies week in and week out habitually. But guess what happens? Never, never is there any change in that person's life. In other words, they're just hearing in one ear and out the other. They are seen as forgetful hearers. And consequently, I think today, many people who, who, who attend church, they think because they, perhaps because they attend service or because they hear preaching on, on Sunday or, or perhaps because they make it a point to make it to church even once a month, they think that this is what procures their salvation. Many people today across this country think that church attendance or even doing good deeds will procure, procure salvation. But that's not the case. It's true that faith must come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but James's point is simply this. True hearing results in changed living. And for James, he says, if we are truly hearing the Word of God, then it impacts our day-to-day lives and it changes the very things that we do. You see, we can absorb all the Word by attending Bible studies and being in small groups. And those things are needed, necessary, and good. And I'm not at all um, casting negative light on Bible studies and small groups. The negative light is when we attend those things, and yet there's never any change in our life because the Word is not connecting and making application in our lives. If the word does not take root in our lives, then James says it is worthless. Later he'll say it's empty. This man's religion, this woman's religion is empty. And so we see the portrait of a forgetful hearer as one who comes to the mirror of God's word, looks into it, sees himself, herself in light of God's word. Wretched, sinful in need of saving, yet walks away forgetting the command of God in our lives. That God's Word transforms us. That God's Word calls us to action. The portrait of a forgetful hearer is one who sees God's Word, yet has no regard for applying it in one's life. And so as we continue to see how the word of truth saves us, I want you to make the connection here between verse 21, this implanted word, which is able to save your souls, and verses 22 through 24, whenever we have this implanted word and we hear the word, then it begins to do this work in our lives and begins to Uh, shape us and fashion us into the image and the glory of God. And it changes us and it transforms us. And it it ought to have a lasting impact in our lives and it ought to affect the very things that we do. So he gives us the portrait of a forgetful hearer 
But in verse 25, he also gives us the portrait. Now, this is going to sound funny, but he gives us the portrait of a working doer. He gives us the portrait of a working doer. In verse 25, literally, it reads, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, abiding by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of work, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is an action. It's, it's one who, who acts. The ESV reads acts there, A-C-T-S. One who engages, one who works. But notice the outcome of this portrait, verse 25. The outcome of this portrait is one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. This man at the end will be blessed in what he does. This idea of being blessed, it is tantamount to salvation. This man will be blessed in what he does, much like Christ speaks of blessed is the man in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. So James picks up this idea, we'll be blessed, and speaking of the future blessing and our salvation. He will be blessed in what he does. And this salvation that he's speaking about, get the picture, the word of truth, verse 18, okay, just back up for a moment. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is God's birthing us by his word, the word of truth. And then we see in verses 19 and 20 that his word is instructive for us. The word of truth is instructive for us. It instructs us. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Then we see in verse 21 that the word of God is transformative. It changes us, therefore putting aside filthiness and wickedness. Receive in humility the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then we see here in verses 22 through 25 this comprehensive working of God's Word in our lives. The comprehensive nature of God's Word, how it works in our lives, it covers every area of our lives. By it, we not only hear, but we do. We engage in God's plan from our communities to the nations, from Baton Rouge ultimately to the uttermost parts of the globe. God's Word doing such a work in and through our individual lives, and our church that we then are being part of His plan by working out and engaging, not just hearing, but doing. And so he says there in verse 25, the one who looks intently at the perfect law. This word, look intently, is a tremendous word that describes what happens when when Peter runs toward the tomb of Christ once he had heard that Jesus was no longer in the tomb and he gets there and he stoops down to look into the tomb and it's this looking intently it's to peer into see the picture of the portrait or see the portrait of the the working doer it's one who who comes with an absorbing look into the word he wants to make certain that he takes it all in she wants to make certain that that she understands and similarly here as 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 what peter 
Peter did physically in stooping to look, it is to engage one's mind and to have careful inquiry into the Word, to look intently. We look intently into God's perfect law there in verse 25. He looks intently at the perfect law that is God's Word. He studies deeply and penetratingly into the mirror of God's Word. And as he does, it is the sunlight of God's glorious countenance that grows the implanted Word in the believer's life so that it even pierces the darkest parts of the believer's life and does this transforming work from the inside out. He studies and looks intently into the perfect law, that law of liberty. And the law of liberty, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the wonderful power of God's Word to save our souls as the gospel transforms us and the law of liberty sets us free. As bond slaves of Christ, we are free indeed. And we are free to walk in Christ and to walk by His Spirit. And guess what it does? teaches us to abide by it. He looks intently into the perfect law and he is not just a hearer that sees and walks away. Instead, he's a hearer that is gripped. She's a hearer that is gripped by the Word of God, looks intently, penetratingly into the Word of God and stays there and is even quick to hear and is slow to speak but, but, but comes to God's Word and hears from God. And then what happens is he becomes, she becomes a doer because this word that's been implanted that gives us the power that powers us and saves our souls is the same word that teaches us to put aside filthiness and, and wickedness. And it's the same word that teaches us to abide by God's word and to live out the pattern of our lives according to God's word. Then what happens is the image, the image of my imperfect spiritual state is forever changed and transformed as I become a working doer, no longer a forgetful hearer. You see, this means that our salvation, our very salvation is accomplished by the word of truth. And the word of truth affects our very actions to the point that our actions become, listen, our actions become the indicator that our lives really have been transformed by grace. Our actions don't do the transforming work within us. They are resulted from the transforming work that God's word does in our lives. You see, the true hearer Here's the word of God and then does because the word of God is transforming and changing us. And brother and sister, as we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, submitting our lives to the authority of God's word, watch how God's word takes root in our lives. And then as we come to it, he transforms us and he changes us. The portrait of the forgetful hearer is one who looks, walks away, and is not changed. But the portrait of the working doer is one who hears and consequently is affected and changed. And then it affects every other area. It is a comprehensive work of God in our lives. When God's Word takes root. We also have a third portrait that I want us to see. And that begins in verse 26 and 27. And that third portrait we see is 
a portrait of faith in action. A portrait of faith in action. And we see it in verses 26 and 27 where James says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious yet he doesn't bridle his tongue, he, he deceives his own heart and his religion is worthless. In verses 26 and 27, James really is kind of giving a, an end note or a capstone on chapter 1 and transitioning into chapter 2. And in verse 26, he, he kind of restates what's been taught in verses 19 through 21. And in verse 27, he kind of restates much of what has been taught earlier in chapter 1, but also what's been taught in, in, in verses 22 through 25. And that is to say, the portrait of faith in action first begins with controlling one's tongue. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. One day there was a preacher walking around the church with a hammer in his hand, and the little boy was following him around. When the preacher asked him, why are you following me around? He says, I, I want to hear what you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer. I want to hear what comes out of your mouth when something happens that's not pleasing. You know, controlling our tongue is not always the easiest thing to do. But perhaps the truth, it's the, it's the most difficult truth that we wrestle with uh, in that what we say... What we speak with our tongue comes from the overflow or the outflow of our hearts. And while the tongue speaks, it points to a much deeper problem. So verse first in verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, what does that mean? If anyone thinks himself to be a good worshiper of God... If anyone thinks himself to be a a good Christian, one who who pleases God. As James writes, to be religious, it, it refers to outward forms of worship. It refers to practicing of religious activity and and ritual, such as attending worship gatherings, or or even public prayer, praying for others. It it, it speaks of fasting or of giving. These are religious activities that one might engage in. And so he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, if they fail to bridle their tongue, this one deceives his own heart, her own heart. Of course, we know what a bridle is. If we don't know what a bridle is, a bridle is the bit that fits into the horse's mouth. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, he states, he says this, James compares the tongue to a powerful rearing horse ready to take off if the reins are not held tight. Have you ever been riding on a horse that's running away as it's galloping and you're on it uncontrollably? It can be a scary experience, but there are people... Hear this, there are people who consider themselves to be religious, that is, to be worshipers of God. They consider themselves to be reverent before God, but they have galloping tongues, and James tells us that they are in a state of perpetual deception. You see, the reality is, what we say has great impact 
on the lives of others and it reveals much about who we are, much about the work of the Word in our lives. He, she, deceives his own heart. This man's religion is empty. It's empty. That's the word there. It's empty. It's hollow. It has nothing. It's, it's no substance in this one's religion. Simple, simply, he is the one who hears and forgets, but not hears and engages and does. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. See, this means the truest test of a man's religion is not his ability to speak, but his ability to refrain from speaking. We must be a people who control our tongues. John Calvin said it this way. He said, when people shed their grosser sins, they are extremely vulnerable to contract this complaint. A man will steer clear of adultery, of stealing, of drunkenness, In fact, he will be a shining light of outward religious observance and yet will revel in destroying the character of others under the pretext of zeal. But it is a lust for vilification. This explains the bloated pharisaical pride that feeds indulgently on a general diet of smear and censure. James says the one who habitually finds himself, herself, with an unbridled tongue It's his or her religion that is empty. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us. Are we guarding what we say? Are we guarding our tongue? Are we guarding what we speak to others? Are we being quick to hear and slow to speak? And consequently slow to anger? It connects with verses 19 through 21 about how the word of truth instructs us, being quick to hear, so to speak, slow to anger. But not only is the portrait of faith in action one where a person controls the tongue, but secondly, it is one where we care for the needy. Faith in action cares for the needy. James says a portrait of faith in action in the sight of God looks like believers caring for the needy. Orphans and widows were the helpless in, the society, in this society as James is writing. James challenges those who are truly religious that their practice will lead to actions. And those actions are informed by the truth of God's word as God's word commands us. Social ministry, ministering to the needy, Caring for the needy is something that God has designed for His people to be about doing. Even in Isaiah chapter 1, we see this call and this challenge where the Lord says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You see, it is thoroughly Christian. 
it is thoroughly God-centered to aid those who are in need and to minister to the poor and the downtrodden in our society. In 1 John 3.17, John says it this way, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Well, very practically, how do we engage and carry this out in our context? I think particularly there are some ways that we can even do this through our church, that we do do this through our church. One would be St. Vincent de Paul's ministry. In fact, tomorrow night, Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock or 6.30, there's details in the worship guide about this ministry. Melissa Fridge heads up, and there's an opportunity to serve and to meet those needs very practically of the social outcasts in our society, caring for children and moms. There's St. Andrew's, the AIDS home. I mean, there's benevolence ministry. As we, as, as we develop our budget as a church, we minister to people who come in off the streets needing help, either paying a bill or need help with receiving food. So we do that through the food pantry or we do it through the clothes closet. Individually, there are members I know of this congregation who help out those who are, uh, who are struggling and who are, who are experiencing distress or oppression or affliction. I know that this happens So as we practically flesh out and understand seeing God's word, what's it mean caring for the needy? Very practically, it means that we will take time to engage, to share the gospel, to to give a hand, to give a cup of cold water, to feed, to give clothing. These are very practical things. It doesn't mean that it's the only thing, but it It certainly is the beginning. And so I want to challenge us, church, individually, as families, that we would be engaged in in opportunities to serve, to care for the needy. How How are you, how am I, how are we caring for the needy? It's a good question to ponder and consider as we take God's Word and seek to apply it. Seek to have a portrait of faith in action evidenced in our own lives. But the third aspect of this portrait of faith in action is in verse 27 as well. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. And Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The third is this, that we would remain unstained by the world. Pure and undefined religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Visiting orphans and widows, caring for the needy, and remaining unstained by the world. What does it mean, pure and undefined religion? He, he means to come before God with a pure heart, with one that is not defiled and double-minded as he speaks earlier in chapter 1 of the double-minded man who comes to God and asks, but really doubts that God's going to provide. It means to have a single-mindedness and loyalty in serving God, the bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ that he says in chapter 1, verse 1. 
It's to be single-minded in our devotion to God. And so he says here in verse 21, I mean 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. He closes out by saying it's to keep oneself unstained by the world. To be unstained means to be without spot. It means to have no blemish. To be unstained. It means to be unsoiled. And what James is saying here is the one who is a hearer of the word and has the word of truth implanted in his or her life is one who is going to remain unstained by the world. The portrait of faith in action is that we would keep a tight tongue, tight rein on the tongue, that we would participate in hands-on caring for the needy and the vulnerable, but also that we would be pure, that we would remain without spot. You know, it's very easy for us to shift from a biblical worldview as we approach life and service in the kingdom to a Western world view as we approach serving others. And the difference could not be any greater than night and day. Because the biblical worldview is one that says, how do I serve the kingdom of God? The Western worldview is one that says, how am I being served? And they are completely antithetical to one another. The biblical worldview is one who comes before God and wants to serve God. One who is unstained by the world then is one who comes as a worshiper worshiper before God, not being tainted by the cares and the worries of the world. One who comes not being seduced by the schemes of the world. Instead, one who comes to God wanting and desiring to serve. One who comes to God hearing and doing the Word. In fact, in James 4.4, later on in James, James says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, the one who is both a hearer and a doer of the word is the one who offers the true portrait of saving faith. The saving work of the Word in our lives is that it transforms us. And the work of God's Word in our lives, it is a comprehensive work. It changes us, transforms us, instructs us, grows us, and teaches us how to live for God. I want to ask you this morning, believer, are you being a doer of the Word? Quite simply, this. As the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives and convicts us? This is a tough question. Convicts us of sin? Convicts us of something that we need to do in response to His Word? Are we being doers of the Word? Is our life more consistent with the portrait of the forgetful hearer or the working doer? someone from the outside looks at our life, do they see the portrait of faith in action? 
Or do they see the portrait of a man who, or woman who looks in the mirror and hears but just forgets? It's amazing how quickly we can, we can go from passionately pursuing God and walking with Him to just kind of wallowing in our own struggles and sin and not being submissive to His Word but get caught up in entrenched in a life of sin. And so, believer, I want to challenge you this morning. Are you being a doer of the Word? We're going to have the time for response and the response simply is this this morning. If the Lord is convicting you of areas in your life where you've not been a doer of the Word or maybe in your entire walk where you're not being a doer of the Word, maybe it's time this morning you confess that before Him. Repent. Ask for God's wisdom and strength to engage and to be a doer of the Word. That your life would be a portrait of one who is a working doer. Be a portrait of faith in action. I'm going to pray and then I want to invite you to stand and just spend some time. Maybe you want to stay seated. Just spending some time in prayer and making a commitment before the Lord or rejoicing before the Lord for His Word. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in Your Word. And though, Lord, it is tough sometimes when we come to your word and we we see areas of of our lives that that are revealed uh, that are sinful and we must confess those and it's difficult lord I, but i thank you god that you give us strength to respond to your word i thank you father that your word does this work of transforming in our lives and i pray god that you would instruct us and teach us how to apply your word how to be faithful hearers and doers of your word. Lord, teach us how to engage your word in our daily lives so that we might be a portrait of faith and action. We thank you, Father, for your grace that enables us to um, get up when we fall down and sin, that restores us and reconciles us to you. And Lord, we pray that your strength would continue to guide us and lead us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand?